gonna open here in my ESV, Second Corinthians chapter seven, and we're gonna read verse ten, just one verse, and then we're gonna talk a little bit today about repentance and what repentance is. Okay, Second Corinthians seven ten. Here is what Paul told the church in Corinth. He said, "For godly relief, uh, grief. I'm sorry, godly grief." Produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Alright, so let's um, all say that verse together one more time. Here is what Paul said. For godly grief produces what? Repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. In the context here, if you go back just a couple of verses, this is 2 Corinthians, okay? So Paul, in the context, was talking about a letter he already sent them before, probably 1 Corinthians. And he's saying, in that first letter, I addressed a couple of issues that made you sad, that grieved you for a little bit. But I'm happy, he said. I'm happy that you got grieved because this grief that you had because of the issues I addressed in the first letter, actually made you repent, made you change your ways. And that's why I was excited in a way that you got sad when you read my first letter because the godly grief that you had from my first letter made you repent, which ultimately led to salvation without regret. That's why he said here. And then he said, well, as... Different than that is the worldly grief that produces death, does not produce salvation. So today, I just want to talk with you a little bit about repentance, what it is, and how does it look like, and the kinds of repentance that the Bible uh, talk about. Now, from that verse, we can see that repentance starts with what? Godly grief. You feel saddened over something that you have done. And then you want to repent for that. And what does repentance lead to from that verse? Salvation without regret. So it's kind of like a three-step process. Repentance starts with a grief and ends with? Salvation. Start with grief, godly grief, a grief from God, and end us with salvation without regret. So what is repentance? We hear that term almost all the time. Well... Not all the time, but sometimes. You hear the word repentance. Repent, repent. What does that mean? So here is an analogy. How, what is repentance? How, how it looks like. Let's say I'm going toward that piano right there. So I'm walking in that direction. Repentance means not just to stop walking toward the piano in my old direction. Repentance means to stop, to turn around, and start walking in the opposite way. Repentance means to turn around and to change the ways that you live your life. Does that make sense? It's not just to stop. It's to turn around as well and, uh, and walking opposite to the way that you used to be heading in the past. So that's simply what repentance is. All right? Now, repentance is, is extremely crucial in our Christian faith. As a matter of fact... John the Baptist, one of uh, the greatest prophets of, of the Old Testament, Jesus said, do you remember his message? The very first documented word that we have written in the scripture that John the Baptist has uttered is this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that was in Matthew 3, 2. 
very first word that John the Baptist said is what? Repent. And not only that, it is the first documented word that we have from the preaching of Jesus himself. First time we hear Jesus preaching anything, it's in Matthew 4.17. What does the Bible say? From that time Jesus began to preach, that's the beginning of his preaching, saying what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very first documented written word that John the Baptist uttered, or Jesus uttered, is the word Repent. That tells us an idea, gives us an idea about how important repentance is in our Christian faith, right? Now, in our day and age, the word repent in our 21st century, feel-good, man-centered American church, you barely hear the word repent. You know why? Because pastors don't want to offend those who pay their salary. That's what it is. You have people sitting in the pew, living in sin, all week long, and they just living in an abomination to God, and the pastor's old Sunday morning, he's just preaching, you know, how to live good, how to live decent, or how to have a good Christian life, and they don't want to confront sin, because they don't want their salaries taken away. And not only that, but even when it comes to presenting the gospel, I mean, repentance, we talked about that um, a couple of weeks ago, when we talked about... Um, the, the grace of God, that salvation is a free gift, but our part is faith, to repent. Repentance is the only way through which we can receive salvation from God. This is our responsibility. But when it comes to you sharing the gospel, mainly here in the West and in the U.S., you don't hear repentance. All what you hear about is this. Hey, if you want to have eternal life, raise your right hand. That's a good deal, isn't it? I raise my right hand to have eternal life. That's no problem. And then three, four months down the road, people are still living in sin. And we say, oh, the problem is we have poor discipleship programs. Our discipleship program needs to be changed. No, friend, you don't have a poor discipleship program. You, have, you don't have an evangelistic program. That's why people have not changed in the first place. People raise their hands and commit to what they don't know. They don't know that to follow Jesus is a repentance, is a 100% change of heart. That you're going to say, from this day forward, I'm going to stop living the way I am living. And I'm going to turn around. And from this day forward, I'm going to follow Jesus every single day of my life. It's a massive and huge commitment. We don't preach that. We don't want to offend people. We want to make Christianity as simple as possible. But this is not how the gospel works. Amen? Repentance is the only way, from that verse that we read, it starts with a godly grief, and it's the only way that leads to salvation. Without repenting, you'll never be saved. That's the bottom line. God has done the salvation, but you must repent. And if we don't preach repentance, if we don't talk about it, people will never be saved. Now, that's point number two. I'm just touching a couple of bases here about what repentance is. Now, what is the relationship between repentance and the blood of Jesus? Why I want to talk about that? When you go out and share the gospel with people, you ask a person, hey, you think you're going to go to heaven? Of course I'm going to go to heaven. Why do you think you're going to go to heaven? Well, I'm a good person. Well, how about the sins you've done? Well, I repented of those. I, I lied before, I did, but I repented of that lie. And therefore, I'm good, you know? Or even if you talk with Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists or people from all sorts of religions and backgrounds, even those who are atheists, don't believe even in God, you ask them, 
Have you ever done wrong before? I did, but I repented of that wrongdoing, and now I'm not going back to it. I used to smoke, and I quit smoking. I repented of that. Therefore, I must be a good person. So repentance, in a way, is kind of a universal doctrine. But is it different in Christianity? Is repentance through the Bible or through Christianity any different than repentance that the Muslims or the Hindu or the Buddhist or the Jews or anybody else is preaching? Yes. It's Huge difference. Here is the difference. And it's mainly two major parts that set Christianity repentance apart from every other repentance. Okay? Two things. And I need you to think with me through this. <clears throat> Let's say you stand in the court before the judge. It's me. If you ever came out with me evangelizing, I share that every single time. Uh, I have a standard script I share with all the people. I don't deviate from it. Now, let's say I go uh, drive 55 miles an hour in 35 miles an hour. And I am in court, standing before the judge, and I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I admit that I intentionally sped and that I broke the law. And I tell the judge... I know I broke the law, but I sincerely repent. Your son, Mike. He tells the judge, I sincerely repent. And he's probably very serious about repenting because he knows now that it's coming to hunt him down, right? So he said, I really am very sorry for the wrongdoing. And let's say he really is sincere and he really means it. Do you think he'll get off the hook? No. No. No way. If that is possible, I would have saved a lot of money on speed tickets, you know, but it doesn't work. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't matter how willing you are to repent. And maybe if the judge will give you a chance, you really go out and never go back to it. But guess what? The judge will never get you off the hook. Why? Because there is a big, massive problem in your way, and it's called the law. You broke the law. And because you broke the law, you must pay first the penalty of the law. And unless that is satisfied first, it doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't matter how willing you are to repent. You are not going nowhere till the law is paid first. Right? Right? Now, every other religion tells you, oh, if you do wrong, just repent. But the problem is, even if you try to repent, if you're willing to repent, if you sincerely repent, you have a problem called a righteous God who is a righteous judge who can never let sin go unpunished. You broke his law, and if he's going to compromise his own law, then he's not really a good judge. And he's the judge of all the earth. He will never compromise. Amen? So the blood of Jesus, that's why Christianity is different when it comes to repentance. Because the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross, took care of that massive block that was holding us from going anywhere that is called the law of God or the righteousness of God. When Jesus died on the cross, he satisfied the righteousness and the wrath of God. And because the law is taken care of, now if you repent of your sins, God is willing to accept you. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Without Jesus' death on the cross, there is no way. It doesn't matter how sincere you are, how willing you try, how massive your repentance is. You are not going anywhere because God's wrath Need to be satisfied first. I am very thankful today for the blood of Jesus. Aren't you? Because it took care of God's judgment. That was just holding us from going anywhere. One example. Romans 3, 24 to 25. Here is what Paul said. And we are justified by his grace as a gift. 
Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has put forth, has displayed as a propitiation, as an atonement, as an covering for our wrath that we have earned because of our sins. How? By His blood. And this salvation that Jesus has paid for by His blood on the cross, when He satisfied the wrath of God, is to be received by what? Faith. We talked about that before. It's faith here means repentance. It's the exact same thing. Is to be received by repentance when you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus and trust Him and Him alone for the salvation of your soul and for your eternal life. That's when the salvation that Jesus has done on the cross will become effective in your life. Do you guys see how for us the death of Jesus makes our repentance in the Christian faith is different than any repentance you hear about when you go out. Amen? And whenever you get to share the gospel, this is the foundation of the gospel. If you don't, if people do not understand that from you, then you have not shared the gospel yet. You have to point to people that it is the blood of Jesus, it is the cross of Jesus that took care of God's wrath. Now we can be reconciled with God. Now we can be made right with God. All right? So that's number one. That's the difference between the Christian repentance and repentance that anybody else is talking about. But number two, the Christian repentance is a total repentance. Okay? When I go out and share the gospel with people, I ask them, you know, I hear that a lot. You know, I used to smoke and then I decided I'm not going to do that anymore. And I repented of that sin and I stopped it. And this person is not saved yet. But they're repenting. They repented of one sin, and now they're not doing it anymore. How come they're not saved? Here is the tricky part. Repentance, even though it can work in individual sins, like let's say somebody spent a lot of money on alcohol, he's sick and tired of all the expenses or cigarettes or whatever, he says, I'm not doing that no more, it's a waste of money. He stops, and he really gets set free after a while. Even though that improved his life, but is not repentance unto life. This is not the repentance that will grant him salvation. Why? Because the Christian repentance that grants salvation, it has to be a hundred percent repentance of every single wicked part of your life. And you say, from this day forward, everything that I am will change and I'm going to follow Jesus every single part of my future from now on. Does that make sense? It's not to repent of a particular sin. It's to repent of everything and say, from today forward, Cammy is not going to be Lord of Cammy's life no more. Jesus will be. Amen? So my eyes will be Jesus, my ears will be Jesus, my tongue will be Jesus, my hands will be Jesus, my feet will be Jesus, my heart will be Jesus. Everything that I am from today forward will be Jesus. And when you get to that point to commit 100% of everything that you are to Christ, that's when you are becoming born again. That's the faith that grants you repentance unto salvation without regret. Amen? Do you guys follow me so far? Repentance in Christianity is different in two ways. Number one, it's useless without the blood of Jesus, right? That's point number one. Number two, repentance that produces life must be a total repentance, not a partial repentance. Make sense? Make sense? Jesus talked about that and he said, we must be born again. Now, have you ever heard of a woman... You ladies might help me with that more. Have you ever heard of a woman delivered a baby this way? The arm is in March. The head is in April. The, the other arm is in June. And then the rest of the body in December. Have you ever heard of that? No. It, that doesn't work this way, does it? No. 
How, how many days does it take to deliver a baby? Oh, forget that. The labor can go forever. But <laughs> the point is, at some point, the baby comes out, right? And when the baby comes out at a certain point, it doesn't come out in pieces, does it? If it comes out in pieces, we have a problem, right? The baby either all in or all out, right? This is salvation unto repentance. This is the repentance. This is the Christian faith. That's why Jesus said it's born again because you're all born into the kingdom of God. It's not partial. It's not, oh, today I'm going to change one part. Tomorrow I'm going to change another part. Ten years down the road I'm going to repent of a third sin. It doesn't work. This is not the Christian repentance. Amen? You're all in or you're all out. I think you heard that enough from me in the last six months, right? You're all in or you're all out. Amen? So that is the difference between repentance that you hear from Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and atheists versus the Christian repentance. Amen? Now, the kinds of repentance. I'm going to start my sermon now. Uh, I'm kidding. Well, kind of. We'll see. Anyways, there are three different kinds of repentance that we see in the scripture. We get these kinds from seven different people in the scripture that told God or said, I have sinned against the Lord. So these are the people who are supposedly repenting for doing something wrong. Okay, Seven different people in the Bible who said, I have sinned. I would have loved to pop quiz you, but every one of you has one of those. That knows. So the pop quiz is not going to work. You have the study guide. It's not going to work. All right. So the seven people who said, I have sinned are as follows. The first one in the Bible, we have Pharaoh. We're going to talk about him in a minute. Uh, Moses comes to him and say, um, let my people go. Pharaoh say, I, am, I have sinned, but he really didn't mean it. Later on, he will not let the people go. The second person is Balaam. as a prophet, well, supposedly a prophet, in the book of Numbers chapter 22. His donkey talks to him. He says, oh, I have sinned, but really... Later down the road, he's still trying to manipulate God's people and trying to place a curse on them. And the third person is Achan. That's in Joshua chapter 7, verse 20. Um, we'll talk about him in a minute. But Joshua was at a city called A, uh, well, before that, Jericho. And Achan stole some stuff from that city, and he told nobody. And he was in, in rebellion against God. And after he got caught, he just told everybody, I have sinned against the Lord. And the third person who was Saul. A uh, couple of times, actually, uh, he felt bad for chasing David, and then he said, I have sinned against God and I, by chasing David. The fourth person was David. When the prophet came to him, prophet Nathan, and he said, you're the man, you, you, you're the one who killed the innocent blood, and you're the one who committed adultery. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. That was David. Fifth person. Sixth person was number um, was Judas. That's the disciple of Christ. After he betrayed Jesus, he took the money. He felt bad. He took the money back to the high priest and said, here is your money. I don't want it. He's like, well, too bad. We're not going to take it. And then he said, I have sinned because I have delivered an innocent blood. That was Judas, the disciple of Christ. And then the last one was the prodigal son. And that's in Luke 15. When he was in, far away from his father, he came back to his senses and he said, I have sinned. I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to say, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I don't deserve to be your son anymore. So that is the seven people in the scripture who told God or said, I have sinned against God. But they actually teach us that there are three different kinds of repentance. And some of us do all of them or some of them. Number one is fake repentance. Fake. It's not real. He said, I have sinned, but you really don't mean it. That's fake repentance. Number two is 
real repentance, and number three is late repentance, okay? There's examples for each. Let's start with fake repentance. That will be Pharaoh, Balaam, and Saul. These three people said, I have sinned. But every time they say, I have sinned, they go back and do the exact same thing that they say that they're not going to do anymore. Let's just take one example, okay? And that will be Pharaoh. Now, the children of Israel was in Egypt uh, for 400 years under bondage. And God sent Moses to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. The Bible said that Pharaoh hardened his heart. So God struck Egypt the first time with the first plague. And then God lifted the plague and then Pharaoh hardened his heart that he will not let the people go. So God struck it the second time. Pharaoh said, okay, this time I let it go. But after the plague is over, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Ten times God struck Egypt, one time after another. And every time God struck Egypt with a plague, Pharaoh, say, Pharaoh says, Okay, just lift it off this time and the people will go. And he never does. So listen to what he said after the seventh plague. This is plague number seven. And that will be Exodus 9, 27 to 28. Listen to this. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sent. You know what? This time, I really, really messed up. I have done it six times before, but this time is really the worst. I have sinned. The Lord is right. You know what? I'm sorry. I did wrong. The Lord is right. And I and my people are in the wrong. I, I can't emphasize this anymore, Pharaoh says. We really, I really screwed up this time. And verse 28, plead with the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. He says, you know what? I have sinned this time. I really am sorry for what I have done. You have been so patient with me, giving me seven chances so far. But if this time you just be gracious to me, I promise you're going to be free. So God, Moses prayed. God lifted the plague. Does Pharaoh come through for his word? No. no. That God has to strike Egypt the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth time, three more times, so that the people of Israel can go. And even when they left, it wasn't with, with the will and the blessing of Pharaoh. They were just, his arm was in a way twisted. Look what he said after the eighth plague. And that is Exodus 10, 16 and 17. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin. Please, I am sorry. And then he say, only this once, only this one time. I know you've given me eight chances, but this is the very last one. Only this one. And plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. Moses prayed. The plague is lifted up. And guess what Pharaoh does? No go. This is the guy who said, if you just give me one more chance, I'm not going to do it no more. But guess what? The Lord gave him a chance and he's still doing it. Even though he said, I have sinned. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I will never do it again. But his repentance was a fake repentance. And there are so many people who repent that repentance before God. They come to church or even when I go out and witness or whatever. Hey, is this a commitment that you want to do? You really want to follow Jesus? Oh, yes, I do. I have so many people like, you know what? I'm making the commitment right here and right now. No matter, I'm going to do it. Two months down the road, they're still doing the exact same sin that they have been doing before they made the commitment. What did you do? 
Didn't you repent? Yes, but it's a fake repentance. They don't really mean it. I'm not sure if they're trying to be nice to me or they really mean it at that moment, but they're not willing to pay whatever price it's going to take to follow Christ. Amen? Fake repentance. Our churches are full of people like that. Fake repentance. You say, I'm sorry, but you don't really mean it. You say, I will change, but you don't really want to change. Number two, the true repentance. We have two examples of that in the Bible. The first one is David, who repented when he committed adultery and God forgave him after punishing him. And then the second example is the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. Let's just focus on the story here of the prodigal son. What happened? You guys familiar with the story? A rich man has two kids. The younger come to him and say, I want my money. You're as good as did to me. I want my inheritance right now. Takes his money, run away from his father, and then spend all this money far away. And then he loses all the money, start getting hungry, go work for a guy as pretty much his slave, attending pigs. And he gets to the point that he cannot even fill his belly with the pots, with the food that pigs are eating. And in his very desperate lowest point, he came to his senses and he said, you know what? This is not right. I have slaves at my father's house who have food that they throw out every single meal. They have so much leftovers. And I cannot fill my belly with the food that the pigs are eating. I am going to do this. I am going to return back to my father. And I am going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Make me even your slave. I will be okay with that. And he took the long trip back home. I don't think that trip was easy. Remember, he couldn't even find food to eat. So the kid doesn't have a lot of resources, you know, doesn't have money to take a break, stop by and grab a bite, nothing like that. But he was so determined. I am gonna, I'm not gonna live this life anymore. I'm not gonna live with pigs, cannot fill my belly with their food anymore. I'll do whatever it takes to go back to my father's house and I will change my way of living. And he went back to his dad. And we all know the story. His dad saw him from afar off. And his heart longed for him. He ran into him. He kissed him. Took him through a big party. And took him in and forgave all his sins. But my point is. The attitude of the son. He's like I don't care what it takes. I am not going to live the way I live no more. Period. If I'm going to end up a slave at my father's house. That's fine. But I'm not going to live in the pig's place right here. And this is the kind of repentance that is true repentance. And this is the kind of repentance that God wants from us. If you never knew Jesus, the good news is Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood. He took care of God's wrath that you could have never done on your own. And now his arms are wide open for you. He doesn't care about how sinful you are if you just repent like that. A prodigal son and say God I am not going to live under your judgment I am not going to live far away from you the same way I have been living today for me is a day of salvation I'm turning, I'm coming back home and I'm going to live for you from now on I don't care what it costs I don't care if I'm going to be mocked I don't care if my friends are going to laugh at me and think that I'm getting crazy I don't care if my own family will despise me I don't care what's going to take today is a day of change for me if you come to God with that desperation he will grant you salvation as a free gift this is true repentance. Amen. The last one is late repentance. Late repentance. We have two stories like that in the Bible. Achan and Judas. Let's just look at Achan, one example. 
So Joshua led the children of Israel after Moses died. And they crossed the Jordan, and there was this massive city called Jericho. Jericho was just as fortified as you could ever imagine uh, back in the time. The walls were just unpenetrable. But then God performed a miracle for the children of Israel. They just circled around Jericho for seven days, and then the wall fell down. And everybody's rejoicing for the salvation that the Lord has done. But the Lord has told the children of Israel, when you... Take Jericho. Don't take anything from that city except Rehab and her family. These are the only people who are going to be saved. Everything else, even the, the, the gold and the silver and everything you have to destroy because this is wickedness and I don't want any to do with it. All the children of Israel obey except one guy. His name is Achan. And then Achan takes some stuff that he likes, silver and gold and some you know, dresses, whatever he likes, and he takes it. After Jericho, Joshua leads the people to a tiny town called A. The whole thing is like 3,000. Well, uh, the children of Israel said, it's too little. Just send 3,000 people to take the whole city. It's not worth the whole congregation to go. So Joshua sent the the 3,000 fighters from Israel, and they get defeated. And Joshua goes before God broken and said, God, what happened? Why are we defeated? And God said, because there is wickedness in your middle. And God said, tomorrow I'm going to call out the guy who did that. Next day, the whole children of Israel stand before God. God picks the tribe, then picks the the clan, the family, and narrows down to the guy. And his name is Achan. So Joshua gets him and he said, tell us what did he do? Um, I think that's what I start here in verse Joshua 7, verse um, 19 to 25. We're going to read sporadic verses here. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now, what have you done? And do not hide it from me. Verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, truly, what? I have what? Not just I have sinned. I truly have sinned. I feel it right now. I know I have done it. Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. Verse 21. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful clock from uh, Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. And I coveted them and I took them. And see they are hidden in, um, in the earth inside my tent with the sil- uh, silver underneath. So Joshua goes. They get the stuff from his tent. But guess what? He said he have sinned, and he probably sincerely means it. But guess what at this point? It's too late. He regretted what he did, but he regretted it too late. He waited till the children of Israel went to Ai. He waited till they defeated. He waited till the Lord called him out of all the people. And when he got caught, he said, I have sinned, but it's too late at that point. Look at verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of uh, Zerah and the silver and the clock and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Acre and all Israel stoned him with stones. And then after that they just burned them and made a heap out of the ashes. What, but why? The guy said, I have sinned. He's really, truly sorry. Isn't God a merciful God? And once you come to him and say, I am sorry, he's supposed to forgive you? No. No. Forgiveness and repentance is not an open-ended invitation. It's not like whenever you want, you can say, I am sorry. There is a time when the grace of God will be over. And then you're going to be sorry all what you want. But it's going to be too late. 
Guess what? Every single soul in hell is telling God. God, I have sinned against you. And God's saying, too late. Too late. We have an example of that in the book of Hebrews. Look at this. Hebrews 12, 16 to 18. The the author of Hebrews is telling the church, make sure that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. What he did, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you knew that afterward when he desired, listen to this, he desired to inherit the blessings that he rejected, that he despised. Now he really wants it. When he desired the blessing, he was rejected. Why? For he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. He begged for the chance to repent and it was not available for him. You know why? Because it is too late. Now, you gotta listen to this. You, God is God Almighty and we are nothing to him. We're dust. We're nothing. Being arrogant and prideful against God is just not gonna work because we're nothing to him. Right? We gotta tell God I have sinned. It's just a matter of time. It's a matter of when you're gonna tell God I have sinned. You have the option now to tell God I have sinned when the grace of God is wide available for you. You can fake it and say I have sinned when you don't mean it and you don't get changed. Guess what? I have bad news for you. You cannot fool God. You might fool us. We might think that you have truly repented and that you start coming to church and we're all excited about that, but you're not going to fool God because he knows your heart. If you're going to repent, if you refuse to repent, if you refuse to say, I have sinned, or if you repent, but you don't really mean it, if you don't come to God with true repentance saying, God, I'm sorry, I have sinned, and today I'm going to change everything, I will never be the same anymore. If you don't do that, there is a day that you're going to die and you're going to end up in that place called hell Well, nothing will be left for you is the wrath of God and all what you're going to cry out for all eternity is Lord I have sinned but it's going to be too late for you let's all close our eyes and pray